The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit midtowncolumbia.com partner. Amen. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, thank you, fellas. If I haven't had the privilege of uh, meeting you, I'm Ant Pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. Very glad to be uh, worshiping here with you. See, we got some guests with us today. Uh, hopefully, if this is, especially if this is your first time, hopefully we were able to get you one of our bulletins. We would love for you to fill out the bottom of that. We just call it the sign and drop. We love for you to fill that out, drop it in the offering baskets at the end when those come around, uh, and we would love to just acknowledge your presence, get to know you a little bit better. Uh, again, we're, we're grateful that you uh, chose to worship with us here. Uh, this morning. If you've been with us, you know we've been in a series called uh, Personal Liturgy. Uh, this is actually the last week of Personal Liturgy, so we're going to pour a little out uh, for our Personal Liturgy series. It's been a great run. We're going to go in a slightly uh, different direction uh, today than we've gone in every other week uh, of the series. Uh, we entitled the series Personal Liturgy to focus on uh, different things that, that we do on a consistent basis in our personal lives uh, that actually have an impact on us. So one of the things that we've said throughout the series is that the things that we do, do things to us, right? Like the way that we govern our lives, the way that we manage our time actually uh, affects us. So we've, we've been pushing uh, each other to some specific um, uh, spiritual disciplines, if you would, to try to cultivate spiritual flourishing uh, and thriving in the Lord. So we talked about uh, spending time in prayer. We talked about meditating on God's word. We talked about things like, like fasting, things that we, that we can incorporate into our personal lives, different liturgies, if you would, different things that we can do uh, repetitively in our lives to help us cultivate spiritual health and growth and flourishing. Uh, today, we're going to take a little bit different turn for our last, uh, our last week in personal liturgy, and we're going to look at a corporate liturgy, uh, the corporate liturgy specifically of singing uh, to the Lord. So generally speaking, in churches, when the word liturgy is used, it's generally not used in a personal way. It's used to describe what we do corporately together in some type of a worship service. So for a lot of churches, a liturgy might be a type of confession that we do. It might be maybe there's a certain song that we begin or end with or maybe different prayers that maybe we recite together. So these things are often referred to as liturgies. And obviously, singing together is a corporate liturgy as well. As we get set up for our time, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 12. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 12. While you're turning there, I need to go ahead and let you know from my social media people uh, up in here, uh, I'm 100% team Laurel. If you're team Yanny, I want you to repent. Uh, Hopefully God will open up your ears to be able to hear what is actually true, what is actually right. Uh, Second thing, if you'll bear with me, I am a little bit under the weather today. If I don't seem like my normal self, I ask that you would... Uh, charge it to uh, the illness and not to my heart uh, this morning. Question for us, why do we sing when we come together? Big question for us. Do we sing primarily because there's just songs that we like, so we sing? Do we sing because different songs make us feel good? Like, why do we come together to sing? I would say corporately as a body, the only thing that we do more and spend more time doing corporately together than singing is sitting under the word of God. We probably usually sing for something like 20, 30 minutes. Uh, if I'm not feeling long-winded that day, we we'll probably sit under the preaching of the word for about 40 minutes. Why would we spend so much time coming together and singing? I don't know how everyone in this room feels about singing. I know for some of you, singing to the Lord is one of your favorite things that you feel more connected with God when you sing than maybe when you do anything else, right? It is, it is your absolute favorite thing to do. For some of you, it's not your favorite thing in the world to do. For some of you, it's like, we just gotta, I just got to get through this so we can get to the sermon, which is the important part, right? For some of us, 
Singing seems like a necessary thing that we just have to do if we're in church, regardless of where you are uh, on that spectrum. We need to have a biblical understanding of praising and worshiping God through song. Are we just getting together, again, to to, to cause us to, to feel something, to feel good? When we sing, or is there a divine purpose in our, in our singing? There are 50 distinct commands in the Bible to sing. 50. Right? God says something one time, it's very important. 50 times in the Bible we see commands to sing to God. Says, I don't know if singing to God is very important to you. It's very important to God. It is very important to God. We, God wants us to be a singing people. He wants us to come together and sing his praises. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he wants that for you. We're going to get into singing. I want to do a little bit of groundwork in Mark chapter 12 before we kind of get into some of the practicals and apply this specific passage to singing. Mark 12, we'll start at verse 28. Mark 12, again, starting at verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, the him being Jesus. So the scribes are asking Jesus this question, which commandment is the most important of all. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus says, first of all, to be clear, as I said a little earlier, if God commands us to do anything, it's important, right? Every command that God gives is important. This specific scribe comes up to to Jesus and says, which one is most important though? Excuse me, which one is most important? What is the most important commandment? Which command is the most important of all? The scribe asked. So what does Jesus do? Because Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't rebuke him and say, why are you trying to put one commandment as more important than the others? Why can't they all be important? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus answers the question and says, I'll tell you which one is most important. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This command is huge. It's huge. Love God with everything you have. Everything you have, with all your mind, love him. Love him by meditating on his word. Thank you. Need that. Praise him, or love him with all your mind. Love him by meditating on his word day and night. That you will fill your thoughts with who God is, with his character, with his attributes. Think on the depths of his mercy. Think on his righteousness. Think on his love. Love God with all of your mind. Use your mind to grow your affections towards God. Consider how righteous he is. Love him with your mind by not allowing your mind to dwell on sinful and lustful thoughts throughout your day. Love God with all of your mind, Jesus says. Love him with all of your strength. Every bit of energy and ability that you have, use it to love God. We ought to use the strength that he gives us for his purposes. Work yourself serving God until you are exhausted. Then go rest as he commands you to do so that you can continue using your strength and your energy in your love for God. Work yourself until you're exhausted and then follow the model that the apostle Paul has for us in Colossians 1 where he says he toils and struggles with all of his energy. All all the energy of God that powerfully works in him. We love God with all of our strength. We give every bit of of our ability and strength into the service of God. And he also says, love him with all of your heart and soul. At the core of who you are, it says, love God. Love him with your deepest passions. Love him with your emotions and your feelings. These, these words of heart and soul kind of make up the, the, the totality of who you are on the inside, right? 
The, the, the depths of who you are, the place where you make your, your, your biggest decisions, the place that, that drives your, your passions and your love. It says, love God with all of that. That we'll be more passionate about him than we are about anything else. That we'll find more joy in him than we will find in anything else. That we rejoice more about the things of God and about who God is and about the building of his kingdom than we would rejoice in anything else. That our chief excitement will come from the things of God than anything else in this world. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. That you would deeply and appropriately be grieved by your sin. That you'd be passionate about what he is passionate about. That you would love what he loved. That you would hate what he hates. That you would love God with all of our hearts and all of our souls. And it's called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're called to bring our full selves to God. Right? Every aspect of who we are in our being, we're going to bring it to God and love him, which means we hold absolutely nothing back. We hold back no aspect of ourselves in our love for God and in our worship of God. This is a call to have a posture of, God, have your way in my life. I'm not going to keep any parts of me to myself and kind of shun you from any aspect of of who I truly am. This this command uh, involves and requires and demands ultimate surrender of ourselves to God. This requires the ultimate amount of love. If we are to truly love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. I, I, can't, I can't think of a greater command, a more, a more taxing and demanding command than to love God with everything that we have. Because love isn't easy. Loving someone with all of you is, is somewhat risky, Right? It's dangerous. It means you have to open yourself up. It means it allows for disappointment. It allows for you being stretched outside of what is comfortable and what feels safe to you. It means your life ultimately isn't about you if you love something with all that you have. I'll tell you why I say it's, it's risky and uncomfortable. When, I, uh, when my boys were first born, I was a very, I didn't even realize how much this was true of me. I was a very, very emotionally guarded person. Very emotionally guarded. So, some, somehow I, I, I was uncomfortable with, with uh, displaying any type of affection to another male, especially saying things like, I, I love you to another male. So my boys are born and I know that I'm, I'm called to, to demonstrate the love of the father to them as their father. Right? I'm called to, to, to love them. And I came to realize that God doesn't just love me by showing his love, but he communicates his love very clearly to me as well. So there's no room for any doubt, right? But I found myself, and I found myself uh, literally at times wanting to say, I love you to my sons, but finding it extremely hard and extremely difficult to do. Extremely challenging for me to do it. I had to learn to open myself up in a way that I had never done it before, because that's what love demands, if we are truly to love as he loves. I had to learn how to, how to surrender those aspects of myself, surrender uh, to, to, to the reality of I need to be able to express affection in these ways. I had to be willing to open up and go beyond what felt safe if I was to truly love. Deeply uncomfortable, very difficult. Loving someone this deeply is costly. It'll cause you discomfort. It'll cause you, it'll cause you your control of your own self. 
I would say. Let me give you an example of why I say that. Uh, also, so uh, this would be summer of 2012. My wife was pregnant with the boys. I was at a, a family reunion, and somebody de- uh, decided to play the movie. It's a movie called Courageous. Uh, the acting's not that good. The point is very good. Uh, so we were, uh, I remember the first scene. In the first scene of the movie, uh, there's this man, and, the, and these guys try to steal his truck. Right, he had like an SUV, uh, and these guys try to try to steal it from him. And so he is like fighting these two guys as much as he can. Like they are driving down the road away from him, and he's holding on, like trying to run to keep up with the car. And then ultimately, he causes them to wreck the car uh, that that, that they're driving, they're stealing from. He, they they wreck on the road, and you're like, why does this guy not just hey let him let him have the car? Call the police. And then you see afterwards, they turn the camera, and in the back is a car seat with his child in it. Right, I, and at that point, I hadn't cried uh, at a movie in probably ten years. My my wife was pregnant with my boys, and I just lost it. Like I I I just lost it. Like 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 love opens you up in that way, right? Like if you're truly going to love something with all that you are, it, it is a relinquishing of control of yourself to some degree. I was embarrassed. I'm the only one in here crying at this movie. <laughs> Told her my eyes were sweating. When you love something that deeply, it affects you. It's not just something that you do. It's something that, that has a, an impact on you at your core and who you are. This call in Mark chapter 12 for us to love God with all that we have is much more difficult than me opening up to say to my boys that I love them, right? Much more difficult. This, this command, I would say it's invasive, Right, like it, it's protruding in on your on your privacy to some degree. Where he's saying, "No, I, there's no aspect of your life that God doesn't point to and says, no, love me with all of this. Bring it all to me. Come to me with all of who you are.' This is very invasive. What Christ is calling us to. It's a call to if, if your heart, if your soul is a mansion with with many rooms, that you give God the keys to every door." to every room, that you're not holding any one of those rooms back, that you're not trying to keep God at arm's length from any aspect of who you truly are. It's very difficult, very challenging. While at the same time, this extremely demanding command that God gives us to love him with all that we have, it's truly the only reasonable response to what God has done for us. No other response is worthy of a God who created us from the dust, put his love on us, set us up in a situation where we could thrive and we could flourish. And then even after we sinned against him, continues to come after us. He loved us when we did nothing special, right? He loved us because he loves us. I don't don't know any better way to explain it. And he doesn't love us with this distant love. He doesn't love us with with, with this love that's kind of separate where he keeps himself emotionally guarded from us. No, he, he loves us with a vulnerable, affectionate love, a love that involves risk and sacrifice. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, one of the things that you, you, you'll see, especially in the prophet books, is God, is God sees himself as the husband and his people collectively as his bride. And over and over again, they turn and run to idols and run to other things, and they love other things more than they love him. And God expresses that he is hurt because he loves them the way a husband loves his bride. Think about that for a second. The God of the universe emotionally opens himself up to be hurt by the people he created who rebelled against him. God's love is a vulnerable love. He opens himself up. He opens his heart up to be hurt by us. God, over and over again in the Old Testament, is heartbroken by how his people continue to turn away from him. This love is, is deep. It's thorough. It's, it's all, con- all encompassing in, in how he loves his people. 
The God who created the universe would allow himself to be hurt by us. A NASA, NASA sorry.gov has an article estimating that there are about two billion galaxies in the universe. Right? Like not two billion planets, not two billion solar systems, not, but, but two billion galaxies in the universe. And the God that we worship, who created all of it, who's bigger than the universe itself, looks down on earth and finds people and says, I want to put my love on them affectionately in a personal and vulnerable way to the degree that if they turn away from me, it will break my heart. He allows his heart to be broken by the people that he created and whom he has shown immeasurable love towards. And after bearing with his people for centuries, after being hurt by every single sin that they've committed every single day, right by his people, excuse me, In the New Testament, we see that the God who has been hurt by the sins of his people, the God whose heart was hurt by the sins of his people, now allows his body to be hurt by the sins of his people. He does the unthinkable. He had his heart broken by the sins of his people, but then he has his body broken by the sins of his people when he goes to the cross. Like This, this love is not a safe love that God has for us. His love, it moves from, his hurt moves from just being emotional to physical. As he is whipped, as he is tortured, as he is crucified for the sins of his people. This love that we have seen from God is an all-encompassing love. It's a love that he does not hold back from us. We see that he loved us with his mind. And that even before the foundations of the world were made, he had this plan to redeem and save his people. He loved us with his, with his strength physically as he carried uh, his cross up Calvary's hill and also spiritually as he defeated the curse of sin on our behalf and was raised from the dead after he was crucified. He loves us with his strength. He loves us with his heart, with his very soul as he refused to come off the cross as he was being condemned and judged in our place. But instead he remained that we might be able to go and be with him forever in paradise, knowing his love perfectly forever. And so it is reasonable that we will love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's difficult, it's challenging, it's risky, it's painful at times. It is reasonable that that is how we will respond to this love that we have received from our God. It only makes sense to love him wholeheartedly with every aspect of our being if he will come and reveal this love to us first. And we will wholeheartedly give our all in our love for him. Something that I find oftentimes very alarming and problematic. Um, and we, uh, so we have a church that has a, a good bit of diversity. And we got people coming from different church backgrounds, different church traditions. One of the things that I find very alarming and problematic is that for some of us, we, I believe we value more loving God with our mind than we do with our heart and soul that we value more loving God with our mind than we do our heart and our soul. Let me try to explain. There are some of us who love theology, right? Absolutely love studying the character of God, the attributes of God. That's something that we, we have a high value for, which is very good. It's very good, very important that we do that. We even love to stretch ourselves mentally to try to understand who God is more and more. Right? It's a very, very good, very important thing that we look at things like, like that God is infinite, that he is the alpha and the omega, right? that he was never created, that a trillion years ago he had been around for an infinite amount of time and he never began. Right? This is things that just blow your mind and just be like, God, I stand in awe of you. God, you are incredible. I, I can't even wrap my mind around 
who you are. It's very, very important that we stretch ourselves mentally to the furthest ends of our mental capacity and just love God with all of our mind as much as possible. That is extremely important. It's good that we stretch ourselves in those ways. Some of us, I think we're strong in this area, but not strong in intentionally uh, stretching ourselves to the end of our spectrums emotionally as well. And if we're to truly love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we don't just love God with our intellect and with our mind, but with our very being, including our passions and our emotions as well. Sometimes we're very comfortable intentionally trying to wrap our minds around things with God that we don't understand, but we're less comfortable with, with deep and expressive outpourings of emotion. But if we're called to stretch ourselves to the furthest end of our intellectual spectrum in loving God with all of our mind, then we're called to do the same with our emotions as well. To be void of the experiencing and expressing, and expressing of deep emotion and passion as we worship God is to not bring our full selves to God. It is to bring a, a part of ourselves. It, it is to go to God half-hearted, so to speak. It's certainly not worshiping with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to challenge some of us in ways that I think will make some of us uncomfortable. In the last few months, in times when you've intentionally been communing with God or spending time uh, with the Lord, whether that be maybe times in the Word, times in prayer, maybe time in personally singing to God or corporately singing to God, how many times would you say you were very, very emotionally engaged? Is that something you, you pursue? Is that something you desire? Is that something that you are after? I'm talking about any emotion, joy, sadness, excitement, anger, any, any emotion. Is that void in your communion with God? Is that something that, that you leave out? How many times would you say you felt your heart swell up with emotion as a part of your communion with God? Now, I'm not saying you got to be in tears every time you pray, every time you sing, every time you study the Bible. I wouldn't say anything like that. Some of us are also going to feel and express emotion more frequently than others in times of worship and in every, uh, in every area of our lives. But I will, I do want to say this. Are there other things in your life that, you, that do cause you to be emotionally engaged while when in your communion and fellowship with God does not cause you to be emotionally engaged? Are there other aspects of your life that cause you to feel, to, to, to experience and express deep emotion while communion with God doesn't have that effect on you? If so, why is that? For some of us, we experience and express more joy uh, over sports than we do with our communion of God. When that's the case, we'll often experience and express more grief when our team loses than when God reveals our sin to us. For some of us, we're more excited about, we, we, we love entertainment in a deeper way than we actually love God. So I'm going I'm to bring up a specific show, not to call it this show specifically, but to bring up a specific type of show is what I'm trying to do. Do you find stories like the show This Is Us to be more touching and emotionally gripping than the story of God coming to save his people? I'm not saying you have to be very emotional every time you open your Bible. I do want to say that something is very off if we're able to, to, to experience and express emotion in a very deep way in, in certain areas of our life, but that is void and that is missing in our communion with God. 
who calls us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why is this important? Why is this so important that, 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 we, that, I, that I will push us in this way to, 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 to reach as far as we can in our emotional spectrum and bring that to God in our love and our worship for him? A, Jesus says it's important when he calls us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says it, it is the most important commandment. And number two, on top of that, I would say to, to not bring that aspect of ourselves to God. Right, to, to kind of keep uh, the, the ends of our emotional uh, spectrum at bay in our communion and in our fellowship with God is to cultivate a shallowness in our experience of our relationship with God. It will, it will cultivate a, a shallow, it will, it, will, it, will, it will cause us to see God more as a, as a distant kind of, kind of being than, than, than as a friend who is personally connected with us. Because this, this, it will feel unauthentic. It wouldn't feel like we actually have a true relationship with God, but, a, but that he's this, this being that we're learning facts about as we study our theology. I was telling my wife about uh, this basic concept a few weeks ago that as I was just thinking through some stuff for this sermon. And she was like, "And you got to know, like, if that's what you're going to call people to, that you're, you're asking people to go to a, to a vulnerable place, right? Like, like to, open some, to open ourselves up fully emotionally to God or anyone else puts you in a very vulnerable position. That's going to be a scary thing for, for many people. And I was like, you're right. And then from there, we, we began to talk about how, but actually that's a very important and beneficial thing because vulnerability actually breeds intimacy. And so thus to, to, to not open up ourselves in that way is to hinder and to cultivate a lack of intimacy in our relationship with God, in our communion with God, and to push ourselves to intentionally engage the fullness of who we are in our love and worship of God is to cultivate, it's to cultivate excuse me, more intimacy with him. To keep part of ourselves at bay is to cultivate a half-heartedness in our worship of God. I said earlier, this sermon was to be about singing, that we're going to talk about singing. I can't think of anything that helps us express and experience, or experience and express emotion more than music does. Prove it to you. Some of y'all are one R&B classic away from calling up your ex and setting yourself back for a full year. <laughs> you just one R&B. Ursher Raymond come on the radio one time, and you just done. You, you're so far in your feelings, you don't even know how to get out of them. God gave music a power, an ability to reach deep inside of us in ways that, we, that are often much more difficult when we don't have music. It's not, it's not, it's not a coincidence that the book of Psalms, a, a collection of, of songs and poems, is also the most emotionally expressive book in the Bible. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that you see this ongoing outpouring of, of emotion to God and to others in the book of Psalms. And then you also see in the book of Psalms this, this call for us to pour our hearts out to God. As God desires to use music and song to, 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 to help us to, to relate to him in a way that gets to the depths of our heart and the depths of our souls. If you're here and you're saying, that, yeah, that sounds great. This, sounds, this is something that's actually difficult for me to do. I have some verses in the Psalms that I believe would help us to grow as worshipers, those who love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Just by going through some specific things that the people of God have done throughout the years in our experience and expressing, and expressing of our emotion to God. Scriptures like Psalms 47 verse 1. 
Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Clapping and shouting are our means of expressing ourselves, expressing uh, emotion and excitement and passion to God. And you see this happen in Christian worship. You see it happen everywhere. You see it happen at, at graduation, sporting events, weddings. These are practical ways of celebrating what we value together. Also, you see Psalms 96, verse 6 and 7. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. One of the words for worship in the Old Testament is actually a word that, uh, that literally means to bow down. It means to demonstrate with our physical selves what we consider to be, to be true internally. That internally we know that God is high, that God is greater than we are, that, that God is high and exalted and comparatively speaking, we are low in comparison to him. And so one of the words for worship in the Old Testament means literally to bow. Verse 6 says, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. It's an acknowledgement of his greatness. It can also be an acknowledgement of our brokenness and our lowliness as well. You see at times in the Bible, it's an acknowledgement of our, of our grief as we go to God with our grief. Psalms 28.2, another way that the people of God for years have expressed our, ourselves to God in worship. Psalms 28.2, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. When I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. That this lifting of the hands is also, is also a, a cry for help. That we are reaching up to God saying, God, I need your mercy. I need your help with whatever I'm dealing with currently. It's an expression. It's a cry out or crying out to God for help. You see something similar in Psalm 63, verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. That the lifting of our hands can be a form of simply blessing or praising God. Psalms 43, 5 and 6. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. And this is the response. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. That biblically speaking, one of the, one of the expressions of, of lifting up our hands to God is acknowledging a thirst and a hunger and a desire for him. It's a, it's a reaching to God saying, God, I desire you. I want you. My soul thirsts for you. Psalms 149, verse 3. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. So we see instruments and using instruments as a way of praising and worshiping God, but also dancing as a way of expressing emotion to God as well. Let me be clear what I mean when I say dancing. I simply mean moving to music, right? I'm not saying any specific type. It can, it can be subtle. It can be extremely uh, extravagant and expressive, it can be a slow sway if you ain't got rhythm like that. It's a way of gauging our entire selves as we corporately praise and worship God together. I want to try to help some of us who I think struggle with this. Who struggle with feeling and expressing deep emotion. I think many of us have been taught one way or another uh, that experiencing and expressing deep emotion is an aspect of weakness. That it's actually weak to do that. That it's actually... Oh, that you're just being too emotional, right? And it's funny that we will say, oh, you're being too emotional, or oh, you're just being emotional, but I don't hear people saying, oh, you're just being intellectual. 
right? It's said in like a condescending way to call somebody very emotional, but you don't see that same thing happen with our intellect because we have a tendency to, to esteem intellect and our mind and our reason higher than our emotion. But we are emotional and intellectual beings, and we're not more of one than the other. But oftentimes we have seen emotion as weakness. We've been taught that crying is weak. We've been, we've been taught that owning our sadness and our hurt is weakness. We hear people in condescending ways talk down on people for being too emotional or overly emotional. For some reason, we think that being emotional is weak when God is simultaneously the most emotional being in the universe and the strongest being in the universe. Simultaneously. I'm just going to leave it there. That the God who created the stars, who created the the billions of galaxies, is also emotional. Nobody is angry at sending him. Nobody rejoices more in the people that they love than he does. No one loves in a deeper way than our God does. No one is more emotional than God. Emotion is not a weakness. But in fact, when it is done right, it's godly. No one loves with more passion here. Men, hear me. Being very emotional is not weak or soft. When we experience and express emotion in a deep and right way, it is godly. Women, hear me. Being very emotional is not weak or soft. But when we express and experience emotion in deep and right ways, it is godly. It is good and right for us to be emotional in our worship of God. I've talked to people before who have felt like if they were to do the type of things that they see in the Psalms that the, that the Bible is calling us to do in, in corporate worship, that it would feel fake, it would feel forced, it would feel manipulative even to call people to do something like this. I know for me, as it pertained to uh, my boys and just expressing my affection and love for them, I would probably say probably the first at least 50 times that I told them that I love them, it felt hollow and empty, and it felt like I was reciting someone else's words. It, it, it just felt like it, it wasn't a real thing. I was, it just felt like I was just saying what I knew that I was supposed to say. But somewhere between 50 and 1,000, the words, I love you, began to become an expression of my soul. Meaning started to become behind the words that I was saying. I just had to get used to saying it for my emotions to be able to flow through the words that I was saying. Now it's a, it's a term of endearment. Now I tell them and I feel a connection with them. And I'm expressing something that is deep in my heart and deep in my soul as I say it to them. For some of us, that's where we're at when it comes to singing to God. You don't sing. You're disengaged. You're not interested in singing in any way. And that's a problem because God is interested in us singing to him. That God is interested in us, in, a, in us pouring out our hearts to him. For some of us, we do engage in singing, but we're completely uninterested in, in pushing ourselves to the ends of ourselves emotionally in our singing and in our worship of God. You sing, and you sing along, but you leave the emotional stuff to other people, right? If that's you, I just want to say you're missing out on an amazing opportunity to walk in the realness and the authenticity of our relationship with God where we offer our full selves to him knowing that he did not hold anything back in his love for us. We have other things that are competing for our heart. 
We have other things that are competing for the love in our souls. It is not wrongly manipulative to intentionally pursue emotional experience and expression to God. So I want to encourage us today to intentionally direct our emotions towards the Lord as we worship corporately, that we will grow in this corporately. So the application for us today is really simple, and I think it's very profound at the same time. The goal is to grow as those that worship God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And don't get me wrong, that verse is not only referring to when we sing to God, but I do believe very wholeheartedly that, that, that songs and, and music, and as we go to God expressing ourselves through song, it is a means of God's grace to allow us to incorporate our full selves into our worship and our love for God. I'm going to go ahead and ask the praise team to go ahead and come back up. We're going to sing. The call for us today is to bring our full selves to God. All of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. That we will worship with our minds by thinking on his goodness intentionally. That we will worship with our heart and our soul by seeking to experience and express emotion and passion to the Lord as we sing. Knowing that this is the only response that makes sense. This is the only response that is truly reasonable when we understand the depth of love that Christ has shown to us. I'm going to pray and then we're going to spend some more time singing together. Father, we're grateful. Grateful for you this morning, this afternoon, in our time together. We're grateful, Lord, for your steadfast love for us. For your love that is unchanging, for your love that is true, for your love that that you don't hold back. God, would you help us to rightly understand emotions, Lord, that we wouldn't see these as, as, as a weakness, God, but we would see this as, as a means of us actually loving you with all of our heart and with all of our soul. God, would you do that work in our hearts? Lord, for those of us in the room who are disinterested in loving you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our passion, with our emotional spectrum and our emotional selves, Lord, I pray that you will confront us in that, that you will rebuke us, Lord, that you will grant us joyful repentance in you. Lord, that we will grow in knowing what it means to truly love you and not hold any aspect of ourselves back from you as we worship you. I pray for our time of singing together. Lord, that we will collectively come before you with every bit of who we are, acknowledging how great you are because you've been so good to us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.